Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Oh, here we are. It is October 22nd, 2020, the Mike Abadir Show. And Mike, uh, this is Gino, the co-host. But there might be another co-host today. If we hear baby gurgles, baby screams, baby cries, I am uh, watching Milo. He's sitting right next to me. And I think this is the first time or one of the first times that he's not taking a nap. So he's being a nice handful for Papa today. So uh, it's, it's if we get some screams or some squeals, he just... He he likes the Dodgers. That's what he's trying to tell you. Well, hey, look, as long as he keeps doling out winners, you know, I know he was a he was a big part of the Lakers, the Lakers. winning streak last year. Very influential on through this year. So uh, this could you be know. for this kid. Could you imagine the first two sport like actual team sports that he's rooted for in his life? He doesn't know what he's doing, but as far as like I'll tell him, in, you know, years later, could be the Lakers and the Dodgers. He could get championship, championship right away. Huh? Not a bad way to start your life. <laughs> no, it's not. Hopefully, hopefully he remembers that or that it keeps going. Right. <laughs> so uh, I remember like, you know, I'm a big Dan Marino fan. I love the uh, the 80s and 90s Dolphins. And I'd hate that I would look at the history of Super Bowls and see that like right around the time period, period I was born, they were going unbeaten and they were winning and crushing and Super Bowls and in three straight Super Bowls or whatever it was, and then silence. And yeah, uh, that kind of hurt. So it, it, hopefully it he, he gets a better fate than that, right? And he's going to say, yeah, there's, is there going to be a new Marino in town? You know, uh, we'll spend some time on, on Tua and talking about this kind of a, a interesting decision timing-wise, right? Because the Dolphins are on a nice little winning streak. They're playing in, in the rest of the rest of the division is has struggled the last couple weeks too, right? The Patriots, they don't look quite as good. They have major issues after the, the big hot start for the Bills. They've come back to life a little bit the last couple weeks. Josh Allen hasn't looked as good in these last few weeks. So, yeah, I mean, it, you win a few games. You're at 3-3. Three and three, You're right in the playoff mix. You're right in the mix to win the division. And Fitzpatrick is playing great. He's the type of guy who's, like, picking a lot of these younger kids up. And then you make the change right now. I, I get it from... From a part of the season, right, with the bye coming up, uh, so you, you at least you get the week and a half, you know, or two weeks, you get the extra time to get him acclimated, taking the first reps. But uh, you're going to be playing against Aaron Donald when you come back. That might not be the easiest place to start. The only thing that I can think, I'm just putting my, you know, Flora's cap on, is this: Tua didn't look very good. You know, obviously there's no preseason games, so in camp, Tua didn't look very good. Didn't there wasn't good reviews about him throughout the summer all the way through camp. He had a lot of issues, okay? The thing I'm guessing is going on is that not only has he overcome some of the issues with the playbook and whatever else he was kind of having to deal with, but that he looks absolutely fantastic. So good that he has to outdo Fitz. Now, that's a lot of pressure. Right. But remember, like when they called, I use this analogy a lot. Remember when the Dodgers called up Yasiel Puig? When you bring somebody up who doesn't have necessarily a ton of experience, 
it's probably because he's absolutely crushing it. And Puig, I think he was playing that triple-A season in Albuquerque, or maybe his double-A, and he was tearing the cover off the ball. So you knew once he got up there that he had a really good chance to do something special, and he did. I'm kind of thinking that's what is going on in Dolphins' world with Tua, that they expect him to come in, not only do a decent job, but to even outdo what Fitz has done. Anything less than that, you risk losing the locker room. I know, and and, and those, there have already been some reports that a lot of the veteran players around have kind of looked around and said, "Really, like right now, this is this is the time when we're going to do that." So, yeah, I I understand if if they if he maybe he he really is that good, right? Maybe he's playing that well in practice and he's really ready to go. But he, or maybe you get a look at him and you go, you. you you never want to say you could tell instantly, but maybe you get a look at him for a few games because remember, this is a team that is set up really, really well with picks and picks and picks for the next few years. Hey, Milo. And uh, it, so if if things don't go well with Tua, you know, maybe you think about right away next year. You got a bunch of first round picks. Do you end up going all in on, on Lawrence? Maybe you swung and missed, but you don't have to worry about it as much because you've got all these all these other picks and all these opportunities. I don't know. I guess it doesn't hurt getting a look at him. But the, the thing that you said, the key word is the timing. I, it's so weird after they've just started playing so well. Yeah. And I think you make a really, really good point regarding the draft picks. So they're in a position. And I think we've talked about this a couple of times. The dolphins can swing and miss on a quarterback and it doesn't set their franchise back five years because of their ability what they've done to stockpile draft picks over the last couple of years. So they're in good shape picks wise. They're in good shape. Even if they miss with Tua because they get, I believe the Texans pick and the Texans aren't playing very good football right now. And so that could be a, a, a competition for that number one overall pick, which is the Lawrence Derby. And even if the Texans aren't worse than the jets, which they probably will not be, then there's a possibility that they could put together a package for just to move up two, three, four slots. That's how many picks they've got. So I don't know. I mean, if you're going to test out Tua now, it's either because he's going to crush it or, like you said, they're keeping an eye out on next year's draft, and this will give them a good, what, 10 games? nine games, whatever it is, to, to yeah. figure it out. And, and it's an audition. Let's see how Tua does, how he handles this, and then we can make a decision, right? The other thing about Tua is this. Not only would you have to have the playbook down pat, not only would you have to look sharp with your passes and your decision-making, but you kind of have to have a swagger and a confidence that the coaching staff has recognized where they will plug him in with vets and it isn't going to be a problem. You're not talking about Mookie bets. You're not talking about Mookie bets, right? I heard bets. I'm thinking Mookie right away. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Vets and bets all sound similar. But, you know, uh, and we're going to talk a lot about Mookie bets. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I I just had to do that. I knew. I know. I know. It's just unbelievable. But that's kind of what I'm thinking, right, is a swagger, a confidence that's just undeniable. You got to put him in there now. remember, Remember. before, like a year and a half ago, we didn't even know about who Joe Burrow was, right? He he came out of nowhere and had this incredible year. It was always tank for Tua. Tua was the guy. 
He was supposed to be the guy. And a lot of what happened was the injury. Is he is he healthy? We're going to find out because he was one of the quarterbacks that was projected. I mean, even when he was a freshman, you know, he he came in and usurped, you know, right off the bat. He usurped the veteran at Bama who's in the NFL right now. You know, so this guy was supposed to be incredible. You're, maybe he is, maybe he is. And 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 we'll just see. I just yeah, the, I, I feel I do feel bad for Fitzpatrick. I really do. He said his heart was broken. I mean, and, and I understand that. You put your heart and soul into something. You feel that, you know, we, you've sacrificed so much coming back, signing with a team that's on the rebuild. You understand that it's a rebuild. You're okay with being a part of a rebuild. You understand that you're going to be mentoring Tua. That comes with the arrangement. You're fine with that. But hey, don't pull the plug on me once I start winning ball games, once our team is starting to play good football, because I've got a little bit left in the tank, and I think I could help us win this division. That's what I'm thinking if I'm Fitz. And clearly, when he makes statements like he's heartbroken, uh, he was not expecting it whatsoever, based on his level of play. But like I said, Gino, Tua now has the pressure not just to keep it going, not just to win games, but to be a, one of the reasons why they're winning games, right? Not just kind of hand off the ball, get out of the way, don't turn over the ball, be a game manager. I think he's going to have to show some, show us why they did this right now. I bet you our guest has an opinion on Tua. He's got to. I know he's got to. He's got an opinion on everything in sports. He does. and uh, so, so we have David join us today, right? Yeah, so we have David Gaskin from Fox Sports. He should be ringing us uh, any moment now. And um, when we get him, we'll, we'll ask him about his take on, on Tua. And uh, they're going to be going up against the Rams. And uh, David obviously is uh, all things L.A., Fox Sports, Fox Sports West, etc. When we bring him on, we'll recite his resume a little bit. But, hey, before we get David, I want to ask you, did you watch the uh, championship fight last weekend? I didn't catch it. I honestly didn't. And we talked about it before and I wanted to, but I'm glad that you're wanna you're gonna talk about it and let me know because it was it was tough when there was Dodger stuff going on. I was I was pretty focused. Yeah, of course. So it was a fantastic fight. Uh it was a very interesting fight. Now the reason I call it fantastic is because you didn't have one of those matchups where you had two boxers who were kind of feeling one another out for the first three, four, five rounds. Lopez right out of the gate, was very aggressive. He came swinging, man. He really, really brought it. Now, uh, our unofficial boxing correspondent, one of our uh, friends, we mentioned him on the show last week, and he can be found on Twitter, Eddie Royce 23 He is a boxing connoisseur, and he shared his notes with me. He had the fight as a draw. Even Steven, 114-114 is how he scored it. Now, for me, Gino... I really felt that the first seven rounds, out of the first seven rounds, easily five went to Lopez. Easily. Rounds eight through 11, Loma really started bringing it. And he got aggressive at that point. Now, the the $100,000 question is, or the million-dollar question is, why? Why was there a delay in really getting cranked up? And one theory is that he was just rusty. He's coming off a year layoff. And the other one is, as we found out after the fight, he ended up having a shoulder surgery. So he had an injection prior to the match. 
so who knows if that got into the way or not, but good, good fight. Nonetheless, uh, they don't do not have a rematch clause. Uh, so we're not going to get to see a rematch unless, you know, something out of the ordinary comes up and Lopez, he wants to move up to 140 and fight Jose Ramirez. So we will see about that. And a big thank you to Eddie for sharing his uh, boxing correspondent notes with us. Gino, now let's get back to football and the World Series we've got with us from Fox Sports. He's with ESPN. He's a contributor at Watch Stadium. We've had him on the show many times. David Gaskin, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good, man. How are you guys doing? Doing really well. Thank David, you for before we get us. anything else, I was going to say, my son is screaming over here. He has to know what you think about Tua. He, he wants to know your take on the Tua situation <laughs> in Miami. Can you hear him? He's screaming. He, he needs to know what David thinks. Hey, listen, I, I, I got a question for everybody. If if Miami was 6-0, and would they have bench Ryan Fitzpatrick? That's the big question. Could, you know? no, but, I mean, if, but I wonder if, if the decision-making is any different right now, David, in the sense that they're not 6-0, and but they've won their last two games, so they're 2-0 and in their last two games. They're playing their best football of the year. And like Gino pointed out before you came on, the Patriots don't look like the typical Patriots, and the Bills have kind of been slumping and dropped two straight. They have a real legit chance at winning this division. Well, yeah, on top of it, don't forget that the expanded postseason for this year, too. So they're a game back at Buffalo for first in the AFC East. So the reality is is that – if you think that you want, if you think Tua has a shot to get this team in the playoffs, you play him. But if you just want to get him some game action and you don't think your team has a shot, then you're just taking, you're sending a message to your entire locker room that you're giving up on this year. That's what it is. Because if Miami was six and zero, they probably wouldn't bench Fitzpatrick. If he was five and one, they probably wouldn't bench him. Even if he's four and two, would you bench him? You'd be tied for first in the AFC East. So, looking at this, it's just it's perplexing to me why they would make the move now, and especially because Fitzpatrick hasn't had a bad year. I mean, he's he's thrown some some bad interceptions, yes, and maybe not performed great against some of the better teams, but he hasn't had a bad year. He's completing seventy percent of his passes, you know, over twelve hundred yards, he's got a double digit in touchdowns seven INTs and a decent quarterback rating, but I take that all day, especially when Tom Brady's not in that division anymore. Yeah. I actually thought that outside of the very first game against the Patriots, that Fitz played pretty well. Your stats kind of support that. And uh, the wins, the recent wins kind of support that as well. Uh, they I mean, look heck, like they were, they were beating the bills in the fourth quarter of that game too. Sure. They, they, they yeah. very easily could have won that game. And they were the, the, in the Pats game, even pitch Fitzpatrick just threw two really bad picks in that game. That was probably his worst of the year. They, they've been competitive almost all year long. That's why the timing is the, is the thing for me, David, you're right. This has to be a move that hits or for a coach who's been really good so far. This is a, a, a real, like a move that could be backbreaking. He could lose a locker room here if this doesn't work out. Well, the other thing, too, is that Brian Flores actually said he acknowledged that a reporter, a local reporter who inquired about Tua getting some kind of possible playoff or some kind of game time, he had said, hey, is there ever a scenario where you see Tua getting some kind of game, you know, game action against the Jets? And he thought about it, and he made the decision to give him some game time, and he admitted that. Flores admitted that after the game was over on Sunday. He said he acknowledged the reporter. He said, you gave him the idea of playing two on this game. 
late in the ball game when the game was already decided. So it wasn't like they set out, or it doesn't sound like at least that they set prior to week one, okay, no matter where we're at, after game six, we get the bye, we're going to throw two in, especially against the Rams after a bye week. I don't know if you'd want to give your rookie quarterback, Aaron Donald, as your first uh, <laughs> as your first look in the National Football League, but that's where we're at. Yeah, it's kind of welcome to the NFL, Rook. And, the, and then their yeah. offensive line has been better than it's been in the last few years, but it's still young, and they still are improving. So this is going to be a major, major test for them. And, you know, you, you got it, someone like Fitzpatrick, who's such a veteran and who knows how to he, – he can still move around a little bit back there. And, and Tua can move his feet too, but he's not really a runner. So this will be interesting. I, I, I just imagine that he, he can't have looked bad in practice, right, David? Like coming into this, he has to have looked, have looked – like good to at like not to comparable to Fitzpatrick to maybe even better for them to 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 take a chance on this. Well, yeah, they they've said in practice that he is caught on. He's gotten up to speed and he looks great in practice. But everyone will say, obviously, practice is not game. So you know, you, you take it for what it's worth. And to your point, Miles Gaskins had a pretty good year for the Dolphins in the backfield. So if you're going to rely on him and use play action, then more power to you. But I don't see why why you'd make a move here, unless unless that you feel that he is far and above better than Ryan Fitzpatrick, and this is just a suitable time to to call the shot. Because if you're if you're still eyeing the postseason, I think Ryan Fitzpatrick, unless he implodes, would be the guy to try to get you there. Yeah, no doubt about it. I agree with you 100%. David, we're up against a commercial break. Do you have a few extra moments to be able to stick around and talk a little Dodger talk? Sure. Outstanding. We've got David Gaskin from Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports West joining us. Stick stick around. We will be back right after this. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. More minutes with David Gascon before he leaves. Mike, do we want to transition over to baseball? I want to ask him a little bit about the uh, the Dodgers. Yeah, I think so, man. Because you know we were talking about Flores making a, a big decision, and he, you know he might get a little heat for it. A, a manager that I feel is undeserving of the amount of heat he gets, not necessarily the questions that he gets about his moves, because I think they're very relevant. But David, do you think calls for you know? Dave Roberts' job are justified 
or are Dodger fans kind of a little bit spoiled because of their su- recent success? No, I don't think it's being spoiled. I think it's just if you if you look to a man and you said who's the best team in Major League Baseball, and it's been the Dodgers almost every year for the last four years. There's got to be the thought that they finish this thing off, and they've had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. They've dominated the National League West, so that's obviously you're getting a home field at least in one round. And the Dodgers have had that. You know, they've gone to the, they've won the pennant three of the last four years, and they haven't been able to finish it and close. And part of the issue that I had doesn't necessarily stem back from 2017, but it stems back from 2018. When they play in Boston, and he refuses to use his left-handed sticks against David Price because of the sabermetrics and the analytics and how his left-handed hitters could and could not do damage against southpaws. And, you know, it's just a scenario where you're trying to outthink yourself as opposed to, you know, not going with who brought you there. And time and time again, we've seen not only him, but... You know, people upstairs that, you know, take away or do things that leaves you scratching your head. And I think it was a little bit different of a scenario in Game 7 against Atlanta when he let Julio Urias, you know, close the game out with a three-inning save. And he needed to do that in the World Series. And I think Game 2 was reverting back to some old bad habits where you turn it into a bullpen game as opposed to letting Tony Gonsolin ride the high and the low waves i hated it and i and i've been up and down with roberts too um i think you know some of the things like he's done a great job pulling the string on kiki this this postseason like every time he's he's made the move for jock put kiki in boom he's gotten a hit a positive there and the thing that you mentioned which is funny it's sort of a blessing in disguise for dodger fans that whole thing that happened in 2018 was the reason why cody bellinger came back and became the the 2019 mvp because he he really took it upon himself to like okay i'm gonna make sure that this never happens to me again i'm never getting taken out of a lineup i i just i agree with you and the one thing that mike and I have discussed a lot David um, is do you think it is all Roberts or do you think it is more of a combination of Roberts making the decisions because I think if if the Dodgers don't win the World Series this year or, or I guess maybe get or getting there may help but I was gonna say if they had lost maybe in the last round we would know by how they handle Roberts if they're making the decisions or not because if they keep him then I think it's a lot they're a big part of the decision if they let him go then we know that maybe he's doing a lot of things more on his own or has a little bit more of the final say than it seems. Well, don't forget, like, Roberts was a player who actually his game was was all about making contact, getting on board, and then being placed in motion. And the Dodgers, the Dodgers don't have a bunch of Adam Dunn's in their lineup. And while they hit for power, there's some guys that hit for contact, and they have good wheels and they need to be placed in motion and one of the things that's great I know we're crossing the streams but Bill Belichick is a master at changing on the fly or doing something completely unpredictable if the week before he was pass happy and his quarterback was throwing 40 45 times a game the next game he'd come back and run 35 or 40 times like Roberts just sticks to his his guns but doesn't put guys in motion, doesn't go hit and run, doesn't put pressure on the defense. Now, I will 
defend him in this standpoint is that a lot of his offense isn't predicated on just the home run like it was two, three, four years ago. These guys are taking a ton of pitches, and they have great discipline. They have good eyes. Like Max Muncy, for as poor of a batting average he had this year, I think a lot of that was on bad strike three calls that went against him, not on him per se. Um, But I do think that a manager is not supposed to have this major imprint on a game, but I think he's supposed to do things that add wrinkles to either an offensive or defensive approach that get the opposition on edge or make them think about something different. And, you know, we haven't seen the Dodgers bunt. We haven't seen the Dodgers go hit and run. And I know that there's a DH, but when you have these shifts on, like Tampa Bay will apply or Atlanta will apply or San Diego applied or Milwaukee did, like go against the grain and put the honest on the defense and on the pitcher to make moves because if they think too much, they make a mistake pitch, the Dodgers are very capable of going yard. So, David, if if the Dodgers don't win the World Series, does he get Doc Rivered? I think so. I think I think you you look at two things. You look at whether Kershaw performed in another game and whether Roberts performed in another game. Because you can't tell me that the Dodgers aren't better than Tampa Bay. Dodgers have a potent offense, great pitching, and Tampa Bay just has one of the two elements. They can hit deep, but their strikeout tendencies are high, and they're not a station-to-station team. The Dodgers are, are a better team all the way around, top to bottom, even with the issues that they have in the back end of their bullpen and, and closer role with Kenley Jansen. But they have one through nine plus a DH. They have all the firepower that you need that's capable of dominating the American League no matter who they're playing. And so for them not to finish it this year, you'd have to make Roberts go. He'd have to be the fall guy. Completely agree with you, man. Last question before you're off the hot seat. Are you watch? What's your watch tonight? The NFC least matchup or the presidential election uh, debate? Uh, I go, I got two TVs. I go presidential election and then I go college football. Um, <laughs> there you and then, go. And then I go, and then I go NFL, Appalachian state, Arkansas state. Yeah. I got to get to it, but good stuff. there, so. man. Appreciate you coming on with us. We know you're tight yeah. on time. And Thanks David. Every minute that you spend with us, bro. Hey guys, we'll leave things off. David, have a good one, my he friend. He was just starting his other show right there, I think. Did you hear him? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think awesome. he was going from one to the next, too. Good so, uh, stuff there, man. That's great. I mean, he was literally just finishing up and then getting right off and, uh, and starting again. So um, Yeah, and when you guys finish listening here, change over to Fox Sports Radio and uh, continue the conversation. He'll probably get more in-depth about this. He's got pretty strong feelings about it. Uh, I've kind of been a Dave Roberts uh, defender, Gino. Yeah, I've um, gone back and forth, you know, because I know um, because he's, he's gotten you there, and I yeah. always wonder what's a succession plan. And 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 my like my whole thing is I genuinely, generally, genuinely do not know how much he's making the final call. Because just like what David said, it's so weird because the Dodgers don't do a whole lot of what he did as a player. They don't really take on his, you know, small ball type attitude. So it is kind of fascinating. Maybe if, if, if he's just the puppet, and hey, there's nothing wrong with that. And I, puppet's a bad way of saying it. Like if, if he's just there to be more of a make sure the stars, you know, are are all feeling good, everybody's happy. Make sure your players are all good, and we think that we have the 
the enough talent that we're like that's going to win out. I understand that, but um, like I, I don't like. I never like the Dodgers ever doing a bullpen game ever, ever. It's you, you're not going to out Tampa, Tampa. You know, if you're especially when you're playing against them. And I would completely agree with David Sinson that just let Gonsolin go five innings. And then start picking and choosing. But I think what they've done with Dustin May and Gonsolin over the last couple of weeks with the the starters, the openers, the two innings here, it's kind of screwed with their confidence a little bit. I'm kind of shocked to see it in the World Series, to be honest with you. The Dodgers didn't did do this all year. You'd see they the had Dodgers five starters. A, uh, that was opener. their strength. The strength of the Dodgers was having more better starters than other teams. And now you've you've wiped that away. Because if you have Gonsolin, you have May, you have Urias, Kershaw, Bueller, that's five solid starters. You know Tampa's only gonna have three. Use your advantage there. The Dodgers did not do that. I just don't you know I'm just not a big fan of the ripple effect that it will have for the duration of the series. Right? You you wanna you wanna get the most out of your starters. That's always been the way Managers have worked their pitching staff. You try to get five, hopefully six. Your better pitchers are going to get you maybe seven. Heck, back in the day, I remember when Jack Morris in the World Series, they went to extra innings, Gino. He gave the Twins ten innings. Ten innings. So, obviously, we're dealing with a different world of baseball. Okay, fine. I get it. But I would have never thought that the Dodgers would be using an opener on the biggest stage in the World Series. And as you pointed out, against Tampa, who is kind of the inventor of this, it does make me wonder, Gino, as to who's calling the shots. Do you know how much Andrew Friedman's getting paid? Do you remember how much that contract extension is for? No, I didn't off the top of my head. Five years for $35 million. You have to justify your salary somehow, right? And, and, and they're awesome. Like, you look at the way the Dodgers are built, the, and – if they win one World Series right now, I, I honestly think they're going to win like two or three in a row. I think it'll just be like getting the monkey off their back because you look at the way this team is built. They are not going anywhere. You're going to have Mookie and Cody lined up forever. Uh, if you if you re-sign Seager, he's going to be there. And then just look at like your, your starting rotation. You're going to have Bueller, Urias, Gonsolin, May for years, even when Kershaw's done. So – they they have set themselves up so well with star power, with young talent from the farm system, with the guys like the Muncies and the Taylors and the Kikis that they found from other places that contribute. He does an amazing job. It, honestly, there's just one thing left for them to do, Mike. What did uh, Jake Taylor say in uh, Major League? Win the whole effing thing? Yeah. Yeah. That is all that they have left to do. And uh, even though I've been a defender of Dave Roberts... I do think that David is right. They don't win the World Series. I called it Doc Rivered, but it's probably Doc Rivers. It's just easier to say Doc Rivered. I think he gets Doc Rivered. I really do. I think uh, if you don't close this thing out, finishing second best is just not going to be enough in L.A. land. The question, though, is who... See, when anytime you have a great manager or a great head coach like Doc Rivers, and he is a NBA champion, so I'm going to put him in the great category. To me, you always have to have somebody better in mind, a succession plan, someone else that you could plug in. I don't really like it when you fire somebody like that and then you go for somebody that's kind of recycled or not the hot commodity. You have to outdo the person that you're firing. That's my take on it. 
So with that said, who would be that guy that you would put into place for Dave Roberts? I think the obvious name would be Cora or AJ Hinch. These are two really good World Series winning managers. Now, I don't think that they'd go after the Astros, former Astros manager. So I think AJ's probably out of the question. But Cora, and he could bring elements of both power game, moving runners over. You know, he's he's actually somewhat of an NL manager in the American League with the Red Sox. Uh, I think he would really do well in Dodgerland. But, hey, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. I don't want to make it sound like they're going to lose the World Series. It's only one game to one. No, it's bounced, and it's bounced back and forth. Yeah. And, and it's, this is the thing, what I've noticed, you know, being a Laker fan and a Dodger fan over the last few weeks is, you know, I mean, groups and on Facebook and different, you know, you know, Dodger and Laker. It's just, it's supposed to be hard when you get this far. It's not supposed to be easy. Like, you're not supposed to just win every game 10 to nothing. You're not supposed to win by 20 in every NBA game. It's not, when you get this far, you're supposed to go back and forth it's supposed to be a chess match in a series of moves and then counter moves and then reactions to that move and i mean i am i I don't like what they did with game two it almost sort of felt like the dodgers were kind of like okay well we know this isn't the bueller or kershaw game so we're just kind of okay with whatever happens they didn't feel like there was a a real sense of urgency until late in the game which which was one thing that bothered me a bit but um i mean i'm really pumped for bueller morton these two guys, to me, are the epitome of a big game pitcher. They're very good all the time, but in a situation like this, in a situation like where the Dodgers were at when they were down three games to one and they needed Bueller to come in and pitch awesome in game six, he did. I, I just I knew he was going to do that too. And you can't say that about Kershaw because he has some good ones and some bad ones. But I just knew Bueller was going to lock down. He was he in a situation where it was bases loaded, nobody out. They didn't score a run. He just digs down. That's kind of who Morton is too. This game should be a lot of fun with these two guys battling. It really should. But hey, about Kershaw and anybody that's listened to this show for several years during this great Dodger run knows that when uh, when warranted. I've been very objective, very hard on Kershaw. When he's done well, I've given him high praise. I think he has lifted some of the negative postseason stigma about him during this World Series run. Yeah, I think he's, he's I, had the I, one. It would be really key to see how he handles the bigger starts as you get deeper into this series. If he wins, if he what's continues funny is, on the same trajectory, I think all is forgiven, Gino. It, what's funny is if he wins one more game, and if like if he wins game five, the Dodgers win, and they don't, and he gives up like three runs or less, he's going to be the World Series MVP. Because he's going to have two, he's going to win two times in the in the World Series. He's going to end up having four wins throughout the playoffs, and it's the narrative. Right, like everybody would be wanting to vote for Kershaw to win the MVP if he had a chance. The the writers, everybody in baseball, they love him. He, he just hasn't had the opportunity to. He not not saying he hasn't had the opportunity. He has had the opportunity. He just hasn't done it yet. And if you look back at the World Series in 2017, it was kind of similar. He had the great game one, and then that game five was the game against the Astros. Remember where he threw like what was it, 50 breaking balls or something and didn't get yeah. one swing and miss. Yeah, you know, which was the game that's been documented with all the banging. You you watch that guy that throws right there, and you go, there wasn't one swing and a miss, really? Like really? That's you know that. But 
this is his chance now. And Bueller comes and wins. And if Julio throws well, he'll have the opportunity to, you know, if if it's you know a game five where it's either you know a, a two two situation or a three one to try to close it out. If he closed closed it out, he he would be the MVP. And then, you know, it would be he he'd start to become less and less of that guy. It'd still be sort of like Peyton. You'd still have the conversation when you talk about Kershaw. Man, he struggled a lot of those years in the playoffs, but he he finally won that one at the end, and he finally got you know that it would be part of it. But it wouldn't be like when I say Kershaw to somebody right now, they choke, they do the choke, and that's just not really fair. It really, it it's really not. And so I'm I'm glad he's had a three and one stretch in four games through the playoffs where he's had, I think it was 31 walks to three strikeouts, and he's really had one bad inning, the the sixth inning when they let him come back out. And if he would have been taken out after five, you know, with the back spasms and stuff, then. We his ERA would probably be under two right now, and it's I think it's two eight eight. So um, through four starts, one, one more good one from him. But uh, again, I'm not I'm not anyone that's ever thinking that this is over, this is done. This is a one one series. Tampa's very good, and the Dodgers better not be thinking that way either. I don't think they are. It it's just hard after a game one when you win, you're the favorite, you win impressively, you sort of you sort of want to feel and like puff your chest like you're the better team and. Tampa did exactly what they needed to do. They came right back and won, and they just kind of sucked a lot of the momentum and the life out of the Dodgers. Well, I I honestly thought if that we were going to know a lot by this game too, right? It would tell us quite a bit. If the Rays came out flat and and lost, then it's kind of that happy to get there type mentality. We're just happy to get to the World Series. But if they came and brought it and brought it strong and ultimately won the game, I knew we'd be in for a series. I would not be surprised at all, Gino, if this goes all seven. No, me neither. They they are good. They have good three really good starters, a lot of good bullpen arms, and they have their hitting is struggled recently. So it's I, I don't that's a that's a little bit of a bad thing I think for the Dodgers because they're they're not as bad as they've been. They're not a team that's as good. Like their lineup isn't as good as as the Padres lineup or the the Braves lineup that the Dodgers just faced. But they're not as bad as they've been. They they have four or five guys that can at any time break out of the slumps that they're in. We saw it last night with Lau. You know, Rosarena's actually been pretty cold in this series. But you know, would you just got to be careful? You don't want to act like we're here. It's meant to be type of thing. I think with someone like Mookie. It, it, that they won't think that way either. Like he, every time it seems like they have a bad game or they get into a bad stretch, he sort of comes back and fires and like sort of picks the team up with his play on the field. And and so I mean I, I think we're going to continue to see that. Yeah, Mookie bats. I mean, there's not there aren't not enough accolades to to be able to get now, the guy. And you 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 said it, and it's one of those things where. You don't ever know until you watch every day. That that's the thing. He's that type of a player. Exactly. And he, he's very comparable to LeBron in that because he's somebody that you look at, you watch them, and you you understand the greatness, and they're great. And yeah, they're in the top tier of great players, but you kind of like you don't know where to put them. When you watch every play, every at bat, every time this guy gets on base, every lead, every the the little the small plays, you know, everyone remembers the the great catches that he's made over the last couple games. The the thing that I remember, Mike, is that on third base, that ground ball on contact, he gets an amazing jump from third, and he's probably the only player on the team that makes it. He slides around the catcher, and that's a huge 
turning point. He does so many little things, and I, and he's just a calming presence. You could tell everybody likes him. They all get along. I mean, when the Dodgers were about to get into it with the Padres, he was at. Oh, sit down. Go sit down. You know, it was he just he he feels like a Dodger within a year already, and it's just awesome because he's he's not going anywhere. Yeah, no doubt about that. Gino, let's take our uh, final time out. We'll come back. We'll talk a little NFL and give out our week seven picks. Stay with us, everyone. We will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Streaming live, the leader in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. We're talking here about the uh, World Series. Dodgers Ray is going to get into the NFL in just a, a moment. But So we have, uh, looks like we're set for Game 3 with... Bueller Morton, that'll be on Friday. Game four is going to be uh, Urias for the Dodgers, and game five will be Kershaw. So they have their next three lined up. That would probably set up for a game six where they would have to do something like Gonsolin May again, or you know what, who's been pitching pretty well for them, uh, who, who gave him a couple good innings last night. Alex Wood would also be someone that you could maybe start and see how far he could go. And then game seven would end up being Bueller. So as far as the way their pitching is set up, you know, you'd have to think Tampa will probably throw a bullpen game in Game Four. You'd imagine, um, you know, because Glass now threw a, a ton of pitches in Game One. He he was pretty high up there. I don't I don't think they'd come back in Game uh, Four with him. So he'd probably come back in Game Five. So um, it's funny you look at this series, and this series feels like a different series because it does really feel like it's going to be a lot more about the pitching matchups versus previous series where. With like the Astros, it was you know their lineup. How many are they going to score? I think for the Dodgers, with some of their previous opponents, as I had mentioned, it was can you sort of calm the bats of the Braves and the the Padres? Those lineups, so totally totally different feel to this series. Yeah, no doubt about it. And look, if you're Tampa, and like you mentioned, you probably come back with Glass now in Game Five or Game. Did you say five or uh, game six? Uh, you probably game yeah. five because he started game one. Five. Okay, yeah. He, so because there's the day you know in between. Got they got the day Glass off in the World Series. Snell, yeah. So if you you know you got Glass now and Snell, then anything that happens in between is is bonus. Yeah. So that's how you're feeling there. if you're Tampa. So if we could steal a game 
three or a game four, we're in good shape. Three for them, it, it feels like is huge. Well, three for because especially for Tampa, I think it feels like is huge because we it looks like they're gonna have to in game four go to some sort of a bullpen game. So or not use their strongest th- one of their stronger three options, which are the three that we've mentioned, you know, Glass now, um, Morton and Snell. But if they're able to if they're able to to win game three and go up, then game four for them is basically, hey, anything happens here, it's icing on the cake because they got their studs set up again for five, six, seven. Yeah, no doubt about that. But if they lose game three, then all of a sudden you're maybe thinking about put it, pitching someone on short rest for game four because you don't want to get down three games to one knowing that you're going to be facing Kershaw again in game five. Sure. So sure. this, no, this three you know, look, I, I think if they won either, I know you're giving greater importance to game three. Your reasons make a lot of sense. There's a lot of logic there. I think if they can win one of these two games and come out of the first four games at two, two. Sure. I think they're feeling pretty good. Absolutely. Hundred, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. You, Cause like you said, you got it. You cannot, I don't think they can lose these next two. I no. don't think you want to lose the next two, and then you because even if you're pitching set up, so is the Dodgers. The Dodgers are going to have a, a Kershaw in Game Five and a Bueller set for Game Seven, and so you're not going to want to have to beat them three times and know you're going to have to beat the, those two guys in particular. So, huge games coming up this weekend, ton of fun, and I'm you know I'm I'm ex- I'm I'm happy that it was the Rays and not the Astros. I mean, I I would have liked to. To beat the Astros But I just don't think I didn't want them to get there even I just didn't think they were deserving enough team to get there They were under 500 this year The Rays were really the Them and the A's were sort of the best teams In in, in the American League Throughout most of the year So um, hey you know, We landed if, on the best two teams in the finals We did, we did And, and that's what when anybody says anything about the asterisk or, you know, of course, because it's a shortened season, it, this is a little bit different than basketball because basketball pretty much played their entire season. But when you look at the way the playoff rounds have had to go, what the Dodgers have actually had to play an extra playoff round. They've had no home field advantage whatsoever. I think that if, if we looked at this and it was like the Astros and the Brewers, two under 500 teams that somehow got there, we might have said, Something might have been goofy the way this went, but when it feels like the teams that were the best are here, I don't know how you could say there's any kind of an asterisk. No doubt about that, Gino. Speaking of the best or not the best, we were talking during the break a little bit about fantasy. I know we have a lot of fantasy Mm -hmm. football players that listen to the show. Here's what I've found to be very fascinating about this year. Because there's so many variables, because we have running backs by committee more than ever, We've got a lot of really good wide receivers. There's a lot of teams where you're second wide out and fifth wide out and everybody in between have a very similar rating, right? They're, they're, there's not a lot of distinction on a lot of these clubs. Of course, some teams have fantastic wide out number two, but for the most part, I think a lot of the NFL, uh, there's just a lot of really good players playing in the National Football League. And that result of that in a fantasy setting is a lot of unpredictability, right? Starters that you plug into your lineup, getting you goose eggs. Good. I don't remember seeing that as much in years past. And let me just say this. So the Mike Abadir show has three fantasy leagues this year. Gino, the team of mine that has the most points 
has my worst record. Mm-hmm. And there are what you there are a lot of very good real football players that doesn't translate to fantasy. And because there's more good real football players, it's spread around even more. And just like what you said is happening, the same thing for me. There are, you know, a few weeks where I'm in. It's funny. I'm in. Um, six leagues total this year. Are three, and then the th- some of the ones that I've been playing in for years with, with with some of my my past. And the team that honestly of mine that's the best. I'm one in five, and it's in yeah. a it's in a Yahoo league. And it's funny because it, the same type of thing have is is been happening. It's just there's oh, there's one or two that's that's been goose egging you or getting you little. And you know, like Juju Smith-Schuster, for example, you know Claypool comes in and he's become awesome. That doesn't mean Juju's not good, and that actually means as a team, Pittsburgh's even better, right? Like offensively, they've got an extra great weapon. So that's great for their team. That's great for Pittsburgh, but it's not great for my fantasy team or anybody that's got Juju. Well, speaking of Pittsburgh, then let's uh, let's talk about the Steelers for a little bit because they are a team that has a lot of uh, fantasy. Uh, eyes on them a lot of players that are looking at those Steelers games every week and I remember last week we were talking about where they were in the standings and I think the question was posed uh so is this then they believe is them and and uh the Titans uh, are these the best two teams in football I think we both were like no uh, or at least in the AFC and we both were like no really quickly uh, does that answer change after what you saw last weekend no I I think they played well. I I, th- I noticed right away that make B- Baker was hurting, you know, and and coming into the game, Baker was struggling really bad. And so I think a team like Pittsburgh with a a, a very good defense, if there is a, like a wound a wounded QB on the other side, they will just pick feast on it that one apart. So I don't think I learned a whole lot more about them last week than what I thought before. Although every week they continue to stack up a win, is a little bit more. For them, right? They, I, I do feel like that's an excellent division, and with those three teams, it still feels like Cleveland's a cut below the, uh, you know, the Ravens and the Steelers. But they're not a bad team, I think, by any sense. And so, I, this is a weird game because Pittsburgh and Tennessee. I really don't like either of these teams that much. You know, I, I do think they're both a little overrated. So it's funny when th- when it happens like this when they when they're two teams that I I sort of. Pick, try to pick and, and choose spots to play against them. End up playing each other this week, and the money's starting to move to Tennessee because Pittsburgh was actually favored early on, and I think it's moved all the way now to Tennessee minus one. So, I would prefer Pittsburgh in this spot. Um, I think they're just a little bit better all around, and I think Tennessee is going to have a tougher time scoring on their defense, whereas I think Pittsburgh can can go up and down the field on Tennessee, so that would be the, the slight way I'd lean, and I would probably make that one of my plays, too, this week, because, I mean, again, I don't, it's it's funny when there's a, a game like this between two teams I don't like, I'm, like, scratching my head, but I, I just do feel like Pittsburgh is, is if I'm ranking and doing power rankings, I'd probably have Pittsburgh four or five slots higher than Tennessee. The interesting team to me has been the, uh, Kansas City Chiefs, the uh, world champ, Super Bowl winner. I I don't know what it is, but they haven't clicked just yet. Now, you may say, how can you say that, man? They're 5-1. and one. They're first place. <laughs> They're still winning a lot of games. They're points for, point against, differential, still right up there with the best. But to me, I don't know. They, they're not meeting my eye test. What about you? Yet. 
The other team uh, that just keeps rolling is the Chicago Bears. And the Bears are a team that every week I say that they're trash. Now, I had my confession last week because I've been really hard on the Green Bay Packers each and every week. Last year, on through this year, and I'll say that the Packers aren't very good. And then last last week, what do I do? I make my confession and I say, hey, Gino, (laughs) the Packers are the real deal. I'm so wrong about this. And then what do they do? He did the Kringle. He got crushed. He did the, the, the Kringle McKringleberry celebration or whatever that was, the yeah. key peel thing. And then immediately following that, it was horrible. The, the Packers do that. They did that last year against uh, the Chargers in one game, too. They just throw in these absolute clunkers sometimes. I mean, it was it was in, incredible. And what's funny is, you know, um, a metric that we've discussed a few times, you know, here and there on Football Outsiders, the DVOA. They actually have Tampa Bay by far as the number one team in football. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. That's would, very interesting it, because I would have thought that coming into this season that their big glaring hole was their running game despite the veteran additions. Uh, but Jones has run the ball uh, effectively, and that could be opening up more things for Brady in the passing game, or maybe it's vice versa. Uh, either way, they're really clicking right now, playing some pretty good football the matchup to me that I'm excited for, Gino, and I know we only have a couple moments left here, are uh, is the Battle of the Birds. Seahawks and the Cardinals battle for first place. Cardinals obviously have been a team that I've been high on since the beginning. Murray, I've been high on since the beginning of the season. And uh, they get to go up against one another. What do you think about this matchup? And uh, what would it tell you if the Arizona Cardinals are able to beat the Seahawks in what I'm expecting to be a massive shootout? I think there's going to be a lot of points, and they flex this flex this game to Sunday night now. So yep. this should be a game that we're all going to be taking a, a keeping an eye on. I would I would play the over in this one. Let me give you two other games I like this week, Mike. Uh, the one I mentioned, Pittsburgh. I think you can even find plus one and a half out there. Just take the money line too, if if it's like that, you'll get an extra little bump. And then um, give me in the. New Orleans Carolina game I like Carolina you can still find plus seven and a halfs out there and Mike Thomas it does not look like he's going to play I think New Orleans probably wins this game by maybe a field goal or a tight game give me Carolina plus the seven and a hook yeah that's that's an interesting uh, situation there that's brewing with Thomas uh don't know if his ankle is still an issue or not but uh another interesting matchup believe it or not, is the the Cowboys and the uh, football team. And the reason I say that is because they both have quarterback switches. They're both bad teams, but they're both right in the the thick of things in the NFC East. Uh, uh, Give me me the football team in a pick-em upset over the Cowboys, Geno. That's one of my picks. I usually don't bank on garbage teams, but uh, this week I'm going to take them as my lone pick in addition to the over in the Seahawks-Cardinals game. Those are my two plays. As always, thank you for listening, everyone. Have a tremendous sports weekend. Enjoy the debate tonight. Have a, uh, See you same time, same place next week. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.